Hello, everyone. This is Nikki, your host of the 7th Street Podcast. This street story is the second installment to this season's series on Tara Moorhead. If you haven't listened to the first installment, I strongly suggest you listen to the street story titled Street Story Tara Moorhead before starting this episode. And now, on to the show. In our first installment of our street stories surrounding Tara Moorhead and the impacts of prosecutorial misconduct in KCK, we reviewed her career in Wyandotte County as a prosecutor. Tara Moorhead seemingly started with arguably genuine intentions, but whose bad habits and corrupt practices as a prosecutor were allowed and encouraged by a lazy and incredibly tainted system. Today's story is not only about how this grave indifference towards ethics and constitutional rights led not only to Moorhead's continued misconduct, but also how her and other bad Apple prosecutors eventually spoiled a good one. This story begins when the government initiated a drug conspiracy investigation in the spring of 2016 targeting detainees and employees of Corrections Corporation of America, CCA, a large private detention facility located in Leavenworth, Kansas. Although the case initially charged six defendants with various drug offenses, the government suspected the conspiracy involved at least 95 inmates and 60 more individuals outside the facility. Facts uncovered after an early discovery conference in the case revealed discovery practices that violated the Sixth Amendment right to counsel. The government possessed soundless video recordings of attorney visitation rooms at CCA and possessed and distributed audio recordings of telephone calls between several detainees and their counsel. The court immediately impounded the recordings and conducted several emergency hearings on these issues, prompted in part by the involvement of the Office of the Federal Public Defenders, FPD, which was allowed to intervene in this case on behalf of many clients detained at CCA. So back in 2013, Special Assistant United States Attorney Erin Tomasik began her career in the USAO, United States Attorney's Office, Soon after she arrived, she encountered an attorney-client call of defendant Jerome Birdsong. Clearly concerned about violating the defendant's right to counsel, she sought advice and guidance from then-first assistant United States Attorney Mike Warner. Tomasic followed Warner's advice by disclosing to Birdsong's attorney that she had assessed attorney-client calls, apologizing, and using a filter team. Tomasic testified in court that she discussed this with other Kansas City, Kansas prosecutors that she referred to as the lunchroom group within the USAO. She testified this group was composed of five to eight prosecutors who would meet in the lunchroom on occasion. Tomasic testified that whenever she shared with the lunchroom group the advice she received from Warner, other assistant United States attorneys, Emily Metzger and Lainey Welch, 
roundly dismissed the advice as wrong, telling her that calls placed by detainees at CCA to their attorney were not privileged because they were on notice that the call was recorded in the recorded preamble on every call. Tomasic testified that in 2016, she discussed the calls in the Huff case with other AUSAs, Christopher Oakley and Kim Flanagan, who also advised her that the calls were not privileged. Tomasic further testified that Oakley told her about his experience with attorney-client calls, and she understood from that discussion that such calls were fair game. This investigation into this Sixth Amendment violation uncovered that KCK prosecutors regularly practiced not disclosing to defense counsel that they had acquired and or assessed attorney-client calls. This practice failed to follow the advice of the Department of Justice's Professional Responsibility Advisory Office, as well as advice from USAO management. Tomasic testified that AUSA Oakley advised her that he had heard an attorney-client call, but did not disclose it because of litigation risk and hassle. Tomasic further testified that the lunchroom group repeatedly said that if defense attorneys were stupid enough to talk to their clients over the phone, they had no obligation to tell them that their calls were recorded. This is consistent with Warner's testimony that the culture in the Kansas City, Kansas office was to treat the defense bar as the enemy. And Deborah Barnett, the criminal chief for the District of Kansas, testified that she repeatedly received complaints from the defense bar about abusive treatment by Kansas City, Kansas prosecutors. Notably, former AUSA Mike Warner also testified that early in Aaron Tomasic's tenure, she was earnest and endeavored to do the right thing, seeking his advice on attorney-client calls and other issues. Over time, however, Warner perceived that she succumbed to the peer pressure of the AUSAs in the Kansas City, Kansas division, whom he believed to be bad influences. Warner testified that during his tenure, some of the Kansas City, Kansas prosecutors engaged in heavy-handed, unfair prosecutorial practices, including discovery practices, such as late disclosure of Brady and Giglio information and evidence relevant to sentencing issues, and were extremely oppositional to management's attempt to adopt standard discovery policies in Kansas City, Kansas, that were consistent with how discovery was handled in the Topeka and Wichita offices. Warner identified Moorhead, as well as Rask, Flanagan, and other AUSAs, Sherry Catania and David Zabel, as most resistant to management's attempts to adopt these policies that were addressing abusive prosecutorial practices in discovery and retaliatory use of sentencing enhancements and abusive charging practices in drug cases and bait-and-switch agreements, all of which Warner testified reeked of ambush prosecution. Indeed, Warner and Tomasic testified that Warner specifically directed Tomasic not to seek advice or counsel from Catania, Moorhead, Rask, and Flanagan, whom Warner believed engaged in heavy-handed prosecutorial practices. But Warner testified, in time, Tomasic started aligning herself with some of these prosecutors and ultimately stated, we lost her. And now, a small message from a sponsor. 
Justice for Wyandotte is on a mission to create sustainable communities in the Kansas City, Kansas metro area through honest governance, reciprocal accountability, and empowered people. Justice for Wyandotte, in partnership with the 7th Street Podcast, has made a call for action in a petition addressed to the U.S. Department of Justice and Wyandotte County District Attorney's Office to review cases prosecuted by Tara Moorhead. You can support these actions and donate to the cause by visiting justiceforwyandotte.org. And now, back to the show. In Erin Tomasic's fourth year at the USAO, she and AUSA Zabel prosecuted a case against defendant Herrera Zamora. An attorney from Kentucky represented Herrera Zamora. After a contentious trial, Moran submitted a motion on February 20th, 2017, to discover whether Zabel and Tomasic had listened to his communications with his client. Moran described his reaction to later learning that the USAOs had, in fact, obtained and reviewed his communications, stating, and I quote, You know, to accuse another member of the bar is not an easy thing, or is not a very pleasant thing to do. And then when I, when I learned that, in fact, they did, I don't know. It's even worse. Tomasic did, in fact, issue a subpoena requesting all detainee calls to Moran's phone number. Tomasic tried to justify this request by stating that Moran had told the court that detainees whom he did not represent had been calling him. So she and Zabel were concerned that Moran was speaking with detainees represented by other counsel. Tomasic ended up obtaining recordings of all detainees, including calls to Moran, including calls from Herrera Zamora even though their stated purpose in obtaining the calls did not justify their obtaining calls between Herrera Zamora and his lawyer. Before Tomasic subpoenaed the recordings of detainee calls to Moran, she did seek advice from fellow prosecutor Welch, who in turn sought advice from DOJ's Professional Responsibility Advisory Office. When Tomasic reached out to Welch for advice, she first assured him that her research had confirmed that the detainees had waived their attorney-client privileges. So, the PRAO responded to Welch's inquiry about Tomasic's question, noting that if their privileges were in fact waived, as Tomasic represented in her research conclusively, then she should employ a taint team to review the recordings. After this recommendation from the PRAO, Tomasic asked another prosecutor, Tristan Hunt, to serve as a filter attorney, along with a Spanish-speaking DEA agent, since the conversations between Herrera Zamora and Moran were in Spanish. When the DEA agent could not assist them, Tomasic, who speaks Spanish, decided to listen to the calls herself, but had difficulty understanding them. Sarah Gardner, a contract interpreter, testified that Tomasic asked her to listen to and translate the recordings. Gardner stated that Tomasic also asked her to come to the USAO during trial to listen to and provide oral summaries of conversations between Herrera Zamora and his lawyer Moran to learn defense strategies so Tomasic and Zabel could impeach the defendant should he testify in his defense. Gardner was so alarmed by this request that she informed AUSA Catania, who reported Gardner's concerns to Metzger. Then on May 10, 2017, Tomasic informed Rask that she had, in fact, listened to calls between Moran and his client. The USAO terminated Tomasic shortly thereafter. 
The USAO did not bring Tomasic's admission to the attention of the court until June 19, 2017, when it filed a notion of correction of record. After Tomasic's misconduct came to light, the USAO agreed to recommend that the court vacate Herrera Zamora's 420-month sentence and impose instead a sentence of time served. As for Tara Moorhead, she denied any awareness of attorney-client calls. However, research from the FPD revealed that between May 24, 2013 and September 27, 2016, Moorhead requested calls at least 33 times for 28 different defendants. In at least nine of those cases, attorney-client calls were recorded. Yet Moorhead never excluded any attorney numbers from her request. The conclusion of this investigation into violations of attorney-client privilege found there was an opportunity to provide a wide-lens view of the government's conduct. The culture of the Office of the United States Attorney, particularly in Kansas City, Kansas, shows a pattern of similar misconduct in other cases and is relevant to the court's determination of an intentional intrusion into their attorney-client relationship. I had a chance to sit down with a mother directly impacted by this case. Her name is Jody, and her son is currently incarcerated. The prosecutor in his case was Tara Moorhead. Jody was careful not to give too many details because she is constantly concerned about her son's well-being, safety, and fight for justice. But she was willing to sit down with me and tell me a little bit about her story. Here it is. All right, Jody, we've talked about your son's case um, a couple of times. And when I talked to you a couple of days ago, you expressed that you were really ready to kind of tell a little bit more about your son's story. Now, you've been very cautious about telling your son's story because you don't want to impede his justice or his safety, which is totally understandable. Um, but you have been greatly impacted and your son has been greatly impacted by Tara Moorhead. And you really just kind of wanted to shed light on how that's impacted you and how that's impacted your son and just your guys' lives in general. So with that being said, Jody, I will give it over to you and you can start wherever you like. Okay. Well, the first start of my son's case is not the issue. With me, it is, it became an issue when he called me and told me to look at the news. Um, I really didn't think anything about it until then, even though the first um, interaction or the first time that I saw her do her job as she was doing, um, I didn't know that she, I didn't know her past. So when he called me and told me to look at the news because Tara Moorhead was in the news mm -hmm. from um, investigations, no, about having the attorney and the client's recordings in her in their offices. Mm -hmm. Um. So when I looked at the news, that's not the only time that she was bought up. She, in her past, she was um, working with Golubsky. 
So that I just, I just, what I did when he told me to look at the news, I watched the news. Mm -hmm. And that was what was in the news was when she had the client and the attorney's information in her office. Mm. And it was like 100 cases. It was 100 cases, over 100 cases with that. So then I looked at her past. I looked at, I Googled her and saw all the things that came up with Golubsky. Um, and after that, I just kind of followed it. I kind of followed it, and I know, knew that it was a pattern. She went from state up to federal and she did the same thing there yeah same thing yeah you know so Tara Moorhead was uh the prosecutor in your son's case yes um what was your your first experience with Tara Moorhead um the first time you you saw her and you knew her to be the prosecutor for your son's case well my first I didn't think anything about Tara when we first entered into the situation I didn't pay too much attention because I was focused mostly on my son. That makes sense. Um, I was there for him. Um, I did notice her behavior um, as the court dates went on. Um, the judge had to reprimand her a couple of times. Mm. For what? Um, just speaking out of line, speaking out of place, you mm -hmm. know. Um, she mentioned that my son's attorney couldn't have come up with the the way that he was fighting the case on his own. He had to have help. That help was my son. Mm. You know. And that was a problem for her. She said it in court. Mm. You know, that's what she said in the court, and the judge had to kind of. You know, reprimand her for that. So the documents that were in her office, are you guys under the impression, do you guys know for a fact that it was some of those documents were related to your son's case? Definitely. Okay. Okay. How did you guys come across that information? Um, well, when I saw, when I looked, saw the news, I called his attorney. And I talked to his attorney, um... And he was like, oh, no, no, that it didn't have anything to do with this case. And I said, well, how do you know? Because they don't just stop at one. Right. You know, and he said, I, I know it wasn't. Um, years passed and um, the judge put a investigative team together um, because of the the files that were found in her office. Mm. And uh, that investigative team actually contacted my son. Yeah. Wow. And let him know that his, and asked his did, rights were violated. Yeah. And yeah. asked, did he want them to represent him? Mm. What did that mean for your son? Actually, to this day, absolutely nothing. Hmm. That's that's interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Why? Why does that mean nothing to him? Or well, I mean, it's a waiting thing, and, yeah. <laughs> and this is just me. I mean, me the way I think. That are they waiting for her to retire? Cause yeah. she's, I mean, she, 
the McIntyre case happened over 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's been out how many years? It only oh, takes yeah. 30 years, yeah, 32 years. About five years or so almost. It only takes 32 years for you to retire. Yeah. She's there. Yeah. She's right there. She's right there. And if she is retired, I mean, look at how it happened with Golubsky. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So now it's just a big, and nothing's game. happened. Yeah. yeah. So and he doesn't want, want to get his hopes up. So, I who? mean, your son? Is My it? son is... <laughs> you don't know. My son is actually so full of hope and faith. Oh, that's good. He, he has not lost his spirit through the whole time. The whole time. It's almost like we never missed a beat, but we just don't see each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what would that, what would it mean for you if there is no justice when it comes to Tara Moorhead and her behavior? If she is allowed to just retire and get all the benefits that that comes with? You know what? My my intentions are to let her know that that I know what she did, and I'm not okay with it. I mean, I can't actually. Um, I, all I can do is what I can do to change things. I'm not gonna accept that. Like I'm okay with it if it doesn't change, mm-hmm. or if it does, if it does change, it's good. But with her, I just don't think that it's right for uh, you to be able to be in your position and be in doing the same practice for all these years and getting away with it, and just you know. What are, what is her morals? Why would you know? And why would they allow that? Yeah. Why would they allow that? What now, would you... In two thousand seventeen, is when they contacted my son about this. It's twenty twenty two. Why wait so it's long? It's waiting again. It's yeah. waiting. So, um. What would you say was Tara Moorhead's biggest crime against your son? What was what was the biggest thing that she did that impeded upon his justice? Had his information. She actually intentionally got not only my son, hundreds of people's information that she should not have had. Do you think she had an intentions of using it, or do you think it was just incompetence and bad filing practices? It doesn't matter. It was there, and that is not something that should have been. Yeah. I don't know. I can't say what somebody else's intentions were. Yeah, that's the tough part. I can't. But you know what? If that's your job and there's rules that you have to follow, even though you might do some things um, unintentionally or not. If it's a rule and you got caught, then you need to 
be reprimanded. And I feel like more than she has been. Yeah, especially with such an important job. I mean, you're you're affecting people's lives. You would think that you would take that a little bit more seriously. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you want to make sure that people know about your son's story or about Tara Moorhead? When it when it comes to a person that holds the responsibility or the job that she had, I think that it's, it's best for you to do it in a way that when you do your job, you don't have to be reprimanded. You don't have to have somebody coming back really questioning that you've done something that is criminal to me, yeah. you know? So I want her to realize that that's something that she should not be able to get away with. And I want my son home. Yeah. When uh, will your son be home? My son, it'll be 2025. So he's done. And that's what he says. Mom, if nothing happens, I have less than two years, less than three years to do. That's what he says. Just a waiting game. He's not even, I mean, it has showed him a different piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that having faith, and I do mean just faith about the unknown. Mm-hmm. It's helped him to be who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You seem very proud. Well, I am. Any mother, you yeah. know, you have to be a mother. You have to be a mother. I'm not saying that anybody's... Uh, if, you have, if you're a mother, your child is... It doesn't matter what they do. You know what I'm saying? You rep, you let them know when you are okay with it or not. Mm-hmm. But you're still there. You're there. Yeah. Me and my son are real close. Real close. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I really feel like um, this was a good um, voice, you know. But I want action. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I hope that that's what this does, you know, brings about some action and not just let things keep on going. And I actually want to be a part of taking action against something that um, is just not right. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, Jody. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. All right. It looks like the sun is setting on 7th Street. The sources for this street story can be found on the 7thStreet.com. There's also a petition now available from Justice for Wyandotte to call for a Department of Justice investigation into Moorhead's cases on justiceforwyandotte.org. This show is engineered by Eddie Bohannon. Research was done by me, Nikki Richardson. You can follow the show on Facebook at The 7th Street Podcast and contact the show on our website. Peace and blessings.